John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1441.IS2808, certificate number 27287, Woodstock 99. Well, it takes a strong man, Woodstock, but I'm showing you that door right now. Would you say, when you think back to the Dark Ages, would yeah. you say you're more interested in the decade of the 780s AD or the 790s AD? 780s or the 790s? I feel like the 790s I'm more interested in. The cooler druids? Yeah, or, it's uh, a little bit, you know, the 80s were, 780s were more pop. The The 790s got a little darker. It was a reaction to the 780s. I feel like there's a, when, when thinking that far back in history, um, and you sort of, Council of Nicaea is right in there, and you kind of, that's a break point where when I think of it, I want to... I, I pretty I, I pretty well understand coming up to the Council of Nicaea, and then I want I'm much more curious about what, what happens afterwards. It's like a break point they didn't know at the time. Nobody yeah. knew that there was a council going on in Nicaea. People weren't like there wasn't some extra extra read all about it kid. Right. Council in Nicaea reaches agreement <laughs> on transubstantiation. That's right. There's there's a. Uh, Tripartite agreement. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> all the old churches are all the old gospels, right? Gone, gone forever. It's like some Neville Chamberlain moment where, like, our negotiator caved to the to the Athanasians or the <laughs> I can't think of any heretics. Peace in our time. Do you? I mean, the point is that time telescopes when you get back that far. Today, we think there's a huge cultural difference between parents of the 50s and the parents of the 60s, or the kids of the 70s and the kids of the 80s. But our listeners won't care. They're, 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 um, they're underwater tarantula men. It's true, although I got into a fairly protracted internet argument, if you can believe it. What? With someone who was... I love a good PIA. Try, trying to make a, a case that, um, uh, that you couldn't divide... You, or, I'm sorry, rather, rather you couldn't compress some historical epoch that just coincidentally happened to be their specialized field of study at right. <laughs> University of Pennsylvania or whatever. Because I wrote uh, 10,000 words about this, yeah. let me tell you. And I said, well, wait a minute, don't you say ancient Greece? I mean, ancient Greece is a, is a meaningless term by your, by your definition, or I mean, you know, they were... They were very, very adamant that I couldn't say something like communist China or something, you know, that was a generalization. 
And uh, uh, it was a thing where clearly they did say ancient Greece in their own history, but or in their own way of speaking. But but they couldn't they couldn't admit to to being wrong, which is of course my way of my primary way of interacting with people that challenge me on the internet. It's to try and get them to admit that they're wrong, and then I mute them. That doesn't really ever happen. Whether they admit that they're wrong or not, they're bo- they're going to get muted either way, just because. They tried to argue with Nobody me. on the internet ever admits they're wrong. When people are wrong, they walk away from their computer and shoot themselves through the head. Yeah. Or they say, my favorite uh, way of saying they're wrong is... Um, and you never hear from them again. They say, fair enough, <laughs> which... It's just the right amount of fairness. It's ju- it's it, it, Fair enough is just such a, like, it's just such such cold soup. Like, it's not... It, 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 it doesn't give you the warm glow of you were right, no, John. No, it doesn't confirm or deny. It's just like, fair enough. And it's like, what do you mean, fair enough? I, just it, put, you just run some kind of Chrome <laughs> macro or app that turns the phrase fair enough into you were right, John, yeah, as should. usual. I should do that. So that any, and then you'll, you'll get the same warm glow. I'll get the warm glow right before I mute them. It's just, it's for our convenience. As time telescopes backwards, then the pixels get so tiny, you just have to chunk them or you can't see anything. Right. You know, at, at the time, it did not make sense to think of the Hundred Years' War as as a long 120-year single single epic. But now that we, the Hundred Years' War has little to teach us, right. you're, you're okay with a one-sentence summary. that does not teach you, maybe. That does not get into the, the phases and the truces. No, I'm, I'm absolutely going to say that the Hundred Years' War has nothing to teach anyone. In this house, we are... Still fighting the War of the Roses. Do you have that on your the little your little Seattle sign out front? In this house, science is real. Water is valuable. We the are, War of the Roses matter. We are against Bonapartism, but some of us are Lancastrians. Wow, this, this is a divided house, half York, half yep, Lancaster? Yep, yep, that's right. Wow, the war is ongoing. It still is. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so this is all by way of pointing out that uh, we have been criticized for doing... Um, you know, this is a this is a monumental reference work for the ages, and yet it somehow seems very heavy on the late seventies to, <laughs> to late to late nineteen eighties. Uh-huh. Coincidentally, a formative time for you and me. It was well, and that's the time. I you know, in answer to our critics, I feel like we are not capable of uh, doing firsthand research <laughs> about the age of exploration, uh, and a lot of that stuff. If it makes it into the omnibus, it's on the shoulders of scholars prior. Right, the, yes. that we're we're just encoding, and by scholar you mean Pope Smasher sixty nine or whoever wrote the, the omnibus, the, the Wikipedia <laughs> entry. <laughs> but uh, but the you know the uh, the culture of the seventies, eighties, and early nineties uh, that's still that's still being digested, and we're here to digest it. You could have the first take, right? Exactly, and and it's clear. I mean, one benefit to me is it's clear now from our current moment and. 2020 AD, which of those things went down the memory hole and which did not. And I have a much shakier grasp of the memory hole stuff that happened when I was an adult because I can't really compare. It's harder to compare the impact at the time. Um, Basically, we've had complaints from millennials that there is not enough 90s material in the omnibus. Millennials have to acknowledge that the 90s were a cultural desert. So that that would be the implication of saying the Noid and Milli Vanilli deserve an omnibus <laughs> entry, but... but um, right, NKOTB but, doesn't. But cre- oh, that's even 80s. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But Creed and uh, Beanie Babies do not. Right. Boy, boy, where's the Boy Meets World omnibus entry? I, I, we, I bet we could do a pretty compelling entry on Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies, I think, is coming. Yeah. That's on my 90s list. Oh, it is. Okay. is it, it's 90s, right? 
I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, there was a, a, a ten years ago. There were a lot of um, in in some of the darker internet corners that I that I traipsed. There was there were there were a lot of memes that were like only '90s kids will get this, and then there would be some Pokemon thing, and it's like, yeah, okay, only '90 kids '90s kids get that, and only '90s kids ever fair, will. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean that. I, I have long made the contention that 1997 is the year that didn't exist. Name one thing that happened in 1997. Yeah, um, right. I can tell you one thing. OK Computer came out. <laughs> Name another thing. Clinton's second inaugural, no, about, not, about which I remember nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's 1997 is just a place where it's like a Fukuyama uh, hole where history actually did come to an end and then I guess restarted. History rebooted, and by 1999 there was a new history. The history had was ongoing again. But I bet if we look at Wikipedia, it's been patched up by the Matrix. The Matrix has created retroactive things. That's the thing that happened in 1997. They didn't actually happen, but uh, but the universe has arranged for time space to continue through 1997. It's like the 13th floor. 1997 is it's it's been retconned. Princess Diana died. No, no, she didn't. Not really. Uh, Mars Pathfinder lands on Mars. No. Say what? Deep Blue defeats Kasparov. No, see, none of these things, none of these things actually happened. Go ahead. Find, find a thing in 1997 that happened. I do actually remember where I were when, where I were, where I was when Princess Di died. Yeah. I was in the exact same place I was, I was when in the I other heard... car. No, I was, I was watching, I was <laughs> watching a motorcycle. I was, yeah, taking pictures. <laughs> I was watching GoldenEye at a friend's apartment. I was sitting at my job at the newsstand, which is exactly where I was when I, uh, well, well, when OK Computer was released. So, I mean, I guess the one thing I know about 1997 is I worked at the newsstand. What else? Name a thing. Princess Diana. Heaven's Gate suicide. Um, you think those people are all still alive with Princess Diana? I mean, what was Kyoto that? Protocol. See, that really didn't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean I I see what '90s kids are trying to trying to say that we haven't um, we haven't like foregrounded even even the things that did happen uh, are just echoes of better things that happened in different years. OJ's civil verdict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I challenge anyone to do a to to write even a one page essay about the importance of 1997. Now you can you can list a bunch of nothings that happened maybe. But if if I were to have told you Princess Diana, if I were to tell you Princess Diana died in 1998, would you be able to? Would you fight me? I mean, if I no. told you that that Woodstock happened in 1970, you would say what? The original Woodstock. I would be like, no, John, you're you're several months off. It right, happened in July '69. That's right, several months off, and you know that, and I know that, and everybody knows that. But if I were to say the Kyoto Protocols, Ken, they happened in. 1999. What could be more 1997 than getting together uh, with your um, with your gang? Yeah, your gang, and with your posse. With your posse, there we go, and going to see Val Kilmer as the Saint at, at a <laughs> at a multiplex near you. Remember, remember all the good times we had. All the Val Kilmer uh, quotes and memes as the saint. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could probably do a compelling omnibus on raver culture, but even raver culture was over by ninety seven. 
Right, right now, there are a bunch of people See, this slow, is, slowly pulling the pacifiers out of their mouths going, what? It is. Oh, it wasn't. <laughs> Did you know the kids are making candy bracelets today? Caitlin's making those little, my daughter's making these the little bracelets that you used to wave in the air at raves if you had if you had something to sell. Oh, wow. Um, but now it's just. Now it's meaningless like everything. Yeah. Kids just want to put, um, you know, BLM or or their name or, right. or whatever on my, their My, on my their kid wrist. has them too. And I'm like, hey, there they are. Everything bad comes around. But Eric Ryan, a omnibus listener who donated at the whatever we call the $50 level. What do we call it? The sentient cephalopod? Sentient aspen? No, maybe I think washing bear is fourth. Ah, uh, washing bear. Someday I'm going to learn these. Yeah. And it's going to be great for when I have to actually record an ad about them. You could learn them or just write them down. Uh, we uh, He requested Woodstock 99. Oh, the day the ni- the day the nineties died. <laughs> only nineties kids will get this. <laughs> what are nineties kids anyway? Like millenniums. What, yes, but what would you say are the traits of the millennials? Like, are we going to do this as the scolding older person version of the of the millennial traits? No, I don't. I, I don't think we should do that. That that's that. that uh, Even if true, it's all their parents' fault. Yeah, that, they weren't that, buying themselves those participation trophies. That boomer culture uh, argument is is well trod ground. <clears throat> but what what distinguishes the millenniums? Is they, they love Val Kilmer as the saint. They're like he's so much better than Roger Moore. They're a much larger generation demographically than we the 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 oft off maligned and forgotten generation X. Gen X deserves to be maligned. Yeah. Did you see the demographic stuff? Like currently the only generation uh, uh, in which Trump has a polling lead. We're, it, we're recording this in the run-up to the election. Is Generation X? Yeah. He's, You're kidding. He's way down with, he's five points down with uh, boomers, whereas uh, he was five points up against Clinton. Oh, you know what it five is? Five points it's, down, you know, 10 points, 20 points down with millennials. It's the same. It's all those, it's all those 50 year olds that, that didn't have the, I don't know, didn't have the light of indie rock to pull them out of the grunge swamps and the, oh, grunge and, and, uh, and contemporary country music. Those are the two, the two pillars of generation X nineties culture. Kind of post grunge for a lot of them. I guess yeah. the, the birthdays for gen, for gen Y, as we used to call them, gen Y, cause we like to define the next generation as like a. Uh, inferior clone of ourselves. It's uh, it started in 82, 83? Yeah, 81 to 98, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, every millennium that I talked to that was born in 81, 82, 83 wants to make the case that they're a cusp. Why are you, because they'd prefer to be X? Well, because they don't, yeah, they're, they're trying to like say, oh, but I watch the Brady Bunch. I, I'm not sure they want to be X. They just don't want to be millenniums and they're trying to figure out a way. And I think there's a case to be made if you're born in 1981 that you have less in common with someone born in 1994. I mean, a lot of it is just, uh, you know, where your pop culture was coming from. If you weren't watching the right Nickelodeon shows, maybe you didn't have cable. Right. And you were locked into whatever your, you know, what the VHS is your parents had. You're, right. you're going to feel a little older, just like, you know, you and I growing up with Beatles music. 321 Contact started when I was in sixth grade. And so I felt like 321 Contact was still part of my kid culture, but 321 Contact got rebooted. And so there are millenniums that are like, 321 Contact, totally. That was my childhood. And I'm like, mm, there was 10 years between... Now you know how I feel about Val Kilmer taking over the role of Simon Templar, well, aka the Saint. I didn't even hear about it. I'm still, I still have my <laughs> this the is all Saint news to DVDs. You. <laughs> 
with Roger Moore. I mean, the marks of Gen X are uh, are well known. Yeah, they're the slackers. We talk about it all the time. And I guess that's that that turned out. They they'll go with the herd. They'll do whatever. They'll they'll uh, own Midwestern used car lots and vote for Trump. Apparently, one hundred percent. If that's the easiest, if that's the path of least resistance, slackers the entire time. Never ever ever stood up and took responsibility for their chores. They stopped. They were just, they were too busy skateboarding is the main problem. We say they, we, but it's us. We were, we were skateboarding, <laughs> what, 17, 18 hours a day? Yeah. I mean, all the, all the, all the guys that, that were more attractive to girls were skateboarding. And that only I leaves wasn't. you six or seven hours to read Thrasher magazine. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's tough. No, no, we were probably. <laughs> Grand Royal. We were playing D&D 16, 17 hours a day, which only leaves you six or seven hours to read Dragon. <laughs> Um, I was just reading Jane's military handbooks and uh, and trying to identify. Yeah, what do you call, what, What's the World War One generation called? That's what you actually were. I'm on the cusp, man. Yeah, I'm actually a a, a, a Jerry or a Bosch or a, a Bosch. <laughs> I can still I can still look at the silhouette of of Russian uh, Russian fighter jets of the 1970s and tell you what they are. Generation Bosch. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember all the VH1 pandering to Generation Bosch. I hated it. Uh, the, uh, I guess I believe the digital native stuff. Yeah. Like they were, the nineties the kids were the first people that never had to remember learning how to boot a home computer, yeah. start a video game. You know, the, the video co- game console was in the house before they were. I went back to so college. It seemed in, like it had always been there. In, uh, when I was 32 and I was in a seminar with some kids that were 20 Hello, and, fellow kids. And, um, and, you know, watching them with computers uh, was was the first time I really noticed that digital native gap. I was, did, did it blow your mind just now when you wanted the spreadsheet to be in a different order? And I said, yeah, you can do that. That's what spreadsheets are for. Yeah. And then you did it right in front of me. And I was like, wow. It was like seeing a David Blaine screen <clears throat> magic. But, you know, that's the, you're, you're in my age gap is just enough, right? We had a home computer when I was seven. Yeah. No, they hadn't invented them when I was seven. It was a big, it was a big whirring wall of, of tapes. But like it, when I was a senior in high school, there was a computer lab in our school and I never went in there. And only once I think peered in through the little square glass window and looked at all the people sitting at their 64K IBM PCs and shuddered in horror. Uh, because I think, I think it was, it, there was still an association that to be look to be taking a computer class was to be um, preparing for a career in stenography. Or I mean, it was a you were going to have a job were, as a but but a, kind of a cursed one. Yeah, well, like yeah, like a data entry job. I mean, I there, oh, it was like making the new generation of of. Uh, of insect drone slave. Yeah, they were typists. Yeah. There wasn't a sense that that learning computers was going to be creative. Uh, at least I, no one ever made that case to me until I was in college. So anyway, wa- yeah, watching 20-year-olds, uh, and this would have been in the late 90s, um, watching them just navigate all the pull-down menus. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did you find that? Where where was that? And it was just like, well, you pull down this. Everybody's got grandparents, John. This this story doesn't make you any kind of. (laughs) But I mean, I was 30, right? I should have been. um, And I, and I, and I, I I was more flexible probably than a lot. I mean, I still have plenty of people from my high school that aren't on the internet, like peers, high school girlfriends that just have zero, you can't find them. They're zero presence. 
because the you murdered them and buried them in the, in the uh, yeah in all the, the way back in the early nineties. No, they just didn't. They didn't make right. the transition. The um, I mean, it does raise the question of what the big looking back, what the big technology game changer will be, because we and even our parents were raised looking at. We're even our parents are part of the science experiment of what happens when you just put a baby in front of a glowing rectangle, right. you know, like not my parents, but yours. right. Exactly. Boomer parents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was the first generation to experiment with that. And Gen X is kind of the first generation to experiment with well, what happens if it's a screen they can control, you know, what happens if they, if they have uh, if they have video games, I thought Gen X was the first generation where the experiment was. What if there are no jobs and no prospects? <laughs> I mean, that's that's every subsequent generation too. What if, I think. What if there's no retirement? Don't say that to millennials because they think we're the last ones that had it good. Oh, I know, I know, I know. They do. Uh, you just, and I both have mortgages, so that puts us in the camp of uh, people should be up against the wall. We, we, we are the enemy uh, yeah. for sure. But we had no jobs, no prospects, no retirement, no unions. But then I guess you've got a generation where the, um, I mean, the, the latest generation, the, the 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 rectangles are handheld and always with you and and do everything now, not just, you know, the, they replace social interaction. I guess that's, okay, that's- That's, and cra- that's, that's the, the crazy thing. Well, the millennials, then that's the millennials because they're the, they're the internet natives, or at least the early, the fairly early internet adopters, right. you know, around the time they got into high school. They were getting their parents Email were getting AOL message boards and so right. forth. So they're the ones that started to replace social interaction with glowing rectangles, and then the I guess Gen Z, my kids, your kids, are the ones that are going to replace every aspect of their lives with glowing rectangles. We we for for a long time, ten fifteen years ago, we were speculating that it, that our kids were going to be the VR generation, right? Yeah. That that they were going to have heads up displays, cyberspace. Yeah, they were going to have. Uh, you know, data flying around matrix. Like every time you looked at a building, augmented there, reality. Yeah. There'd be some little some screen that popped up and told you when it was built and who lives there. And I like how that's your use case. <laughs> <laughs> this is looking at, looking at specs for old buildings. F- you asshole. Um, uh, but, but that hasn't come to pass. And I just, I wonder whether <laughs> what Google glass like burned that all down for a generation or, or whether it's a yet. I mean, I know people are working on it everywhere. It just hasn't mainstreamed. It's it's very clear that, I, I don't know, it seems intuitively obvious that somewhere along this process, you can break a baby's brain. Right. Or at least create essentially a new species. New, new baby. By giving, yeah. That's what we call them. New, right. new baby trade. And maybe it's the 90s. Maybe it's N-U. Uh, no, noi baby. B- boy baby. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a Creed or a Nickelback yeah. baby. Uh, but... Um, but somewhere along the line, you do create kind of a new species by by saying, "Hey, this is this is how the while the brain is plastic and developing." Whoa! And I don't know if it's if you give that brain howdy doody, or it's if you give that brain um, pong, right? Or it's if you give that brain email, or it's if you give that brain TikTok. But but somewhere along that continuum, there's a we've created a new species. You rewire, yeah, yeah, and so maybe that maybe that's why we don't do millennial topics on this show. That would be like, that would be like covering uh, lemurs. Well, that's I mean, every futureling is post this transition, and and we don't talk very often about the fact that our listeners may just be virtual intelligences, right? That uh, yeah, they're like, when are they going to fix Google Glass so we can arise <laughs> from the from the new machine? I mean, we could our our audience could be clones of our own uh our own souls that are now uh, reproducing infinitely and listening to us recursively our listeners are our past uh 
internet and video game avatars that have gained sentience Burr. and are still wandering beep, through beep, the bloop. through the dungeon body with, blow, or, or through body the blow, message board. Body blow, knock them out. Yeah, it's Wreck It Ralph. Basically, yeah. <laughs> they all have they all have rich inner lives after the uh, after the the knockout. Rock It Ralph, Ralph with, but with our faces. <laughs> um, so this is who we're addressing: these uh, odd avatar lemur. So so. What I'm saying is future, yeah. distant future. You don't care about the distance between the 80s and the 90s no. at all. To it's you, it's like it's it's worse than trying to parse the Lancastrian War and the Carolinian War. But right now, it's but, a, it's a huge. Uh, right now, every generation is a generational struggle. What's the council? What's our Council of Nicaea though? Is it the advent of the personal computer? It's, it's certainly not Vatican II. It's tech. It's a hundred percent tech, but yeah. I don't know what's the what what's the dividing line. The, it's probably it's probably creation of the World Wide Web in ninety four. I don't know if I had to guess. It's either that or iPhone. Smartphone. Yeah. I guess I guess the future knows. They'll tell us what um It will be crazy to the future to to even connect to the personal computer t- as a as a as anything other than a precursor to the iPhone. Yeah. Right, the it'll, iPhone it'll be the way you the... and I talk about ice houses in the summer. <laughs> yes, that's the thing you had because there were no refrigerators. All the great conversations you and I have had about ice houses over the years. <laughs> got to get the, got to get some sawdust in there, or it'll melt. That's what I think. So yeah, it's, it's got to be personal tech, right? That's the that's the transition, but, uh, unless it's bio augmentation, which is something that we're that all of this tech is going to lead up to but it's or, really bio augmentation that or what if this is all a dead end and the epical event actually is <laughs> it's a well it could be a dystopian future with a civilization civilization ending event or it could be machines the, take over or it could be the aliens arriving oh you sure. know like right. maybe they're going to be like these guys are talking about smartphones like they matter <laughs> but we all know on august 8th 2023 that all ended in tears slash <laughs> Tears and rain, Uni- no, or universal <laughs> peace and harmony. When now, Ken, you have you've made a big point over the years to explain to me that that uh, that the large moon low in the sky is an illusion. And I tell you this every time. Every time I come over to your house, it's the first thing I say. And there's there the Earth is not hollow, and nobody is living inside the center of the Earth. But uh, I, you should know that I, that a lot of futurelings respond very negatively to the suggestion that that UFOs are, are extraterrestrial intelligence and they M- want- much less interdimensional, which I think is kind of your take, right? Yeah. Yeah. Much. Uh, uh, they don't want to hear about my, they don't want to hear about interdimensional UFOs. I was reading the other day, I guess Obama was asked once because somebody recently asked Trump about area 51 One. or whatever it is. It's that and- area 51. And, uh, Unless you're positing that there's an Area 52, oh, in which sure. case I really want to. That's where I want to. I want to go to Area 51 and a half, which is where <laughs> they keep all the magic Hogwarts uh, craft. No, uh, somebody asked Trump something related to aliens, and I and I saw Obama's similar quote on the same topic, where he said, uh, "I can tell you this: we have never made contact with a with a." extraterrestrial intelligence aboard a UFO. It seemed so hmm. legalistic and narrow. Yeah. Like, how could you read that and not think, wait, that's not the question I asked. Thank you for answering the question you wish I had asked. But yeah, right. That, that, that doesn't preclude them having warehouses full of alien corpses. So clearly Obama is a alien. Right. When he took off, he takes, he takes off the An mask. interdimensional alien. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you can take, you can look at him and tell he's a praying mantis under that. <laughs> you, you think you, that explains the ears? Yeah, it's clearly a praying mantis in human clothes. <laughs> this is all in aid of, of making the case that uh, 
that Woodstock 99 was actually an epical thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Woodstock 99? Woodstock 99? Woodstock 99? What are you talking about? Woodstock 99. Woodstock 99? Yeah, this is a request from uh, listener Eric. Oh, this is a... Woodstock 99 is a thing that I tried to erase from my memory, and I'm still trying to. Why are you doing this? This explains why you don't remember 1997. This This is just more about whatever your personal chemical state was. Well, you know, in 1999, I was a a rock musician, a practicing one. So you probably knew all about the big music festival. Well, I knew knew a a lot of these bands, but this this summer was the summer that I, uh, and here it is, those people playing Omnibus Bingo, here's your center square. Nazis. Nope. That's that's the summer I walked across Europe. So I was out of the country and only hearing about... This giant concert that featured Hoobastank and Monkey Butt and all you these- You got the list in front of uh, you. You don't have to metal, pretend it was Hoobastank. New metal bands and weird, you know, like uh, Buck Cherry and whatnot. So I didn't, so I wasn't- It, I was, wasn't, sma- it was just sma- Smash Mouth on smash every mouth stage. over and over. Over and over. I, I wasn't here for the concert itself. I only, after I got back, I heard about it. So you are not going to have any better sense than I do of how far down the memory hole Woodstock 99 is right now. And I think the answer is not very. For one thing, we recently had the 20th anniversary in our era. So and, and that led to a lot of reconsiderations of, of that moment. And also just contextualizing what it meant for that generation and making the case that it was, in fact, a pretty big deal. Really? Yeah. It's so weird because... I think of all these bands, with the ver- with the exception of a very few. For example, you got the list in front of you. Who are we? T- who 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 was playing, John? Um. Well, let's see. Uh, the first night, Thursday, uh, there was a there was a pre show, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting, and it had what three, six, nine, almost twenty bands, eighteen bands. And the first nine of them don't even warrant Wikipedia entries. That's how you know a, a music <clears throat> festival is good when there's there's no hyperlink on the yeah like on the Wikipedia. Band. There's a band called Rattle Basket. There's a band called In Bloom, which is just like let's name our band after a Nirvana song. But the but the bands that the bands that were on the the main stage, uh, Vertical Horizon, G Love and Special Sauce, String Cheese Incident. And then George Clinton, the headliner. Stick around for George Clinton. But you've got your Buck Cherry, um, Insane Clown Posse. You've got The Roots here, Mo Lit, Jamiroquai, Live Corn. Oh, a lot of Bush. things about the, a lot of things about the music festivals of this era I've noticed is they they are uh, pretty. You know, there's an attempt at diversity, but it's very much a Star Trek diversity where you've got one token reggae act, one token you know, one token country act, and it's always really um, you know some fifty year old white promoter's idea of what a reggae act is, you know, or what a funk act is. Well, and this is the the, the rap acts here are the Roots yep. and. Ice Cube. Although the roots aren't really rap. Mm. You got Los Lobos. That's like a quick name a Latino band. Okay, we'll get Los Lobos. Los Lobos is one of the great rock bands. I love Los Lobos. Yeah. But I'm just saying, yeah. you can see the imagination that goes into checking off the uh, the Latino box there. Well, and this is the, these are, <clears throat> these are the last days, or, or at least maybe the last peak of rock cultural appropriation days. It's the, it's the, the new metal rap White rappers, but also Jamiroquai with his Native American imagery, and you've got a lot of uh, 
young white kids singing in fake blues voices. You've got um, ow, you ow. got you got Adam Duritz in his uh, in his dreads his, still. You've got a lot. Well, there are a lot of dreads on these bands. A lot of white dreads at Woodstock '99. So there, you you see a lot of bands where you're like, hmm, I don't know if that would fly anymore. The con- uh, the context of Woodstock '99 ever clear. Oh, Guster play. I mean, it's tempting to think of it as a generational thing because it has Woodstock in the name. These guys right. are trading on the idea of the 30th anniversary of the original Woodstock Music Festival. There had been a 24th an- 25th anniversary concert, Woodstock '94, which also had its logistical struggles, but was not the um, was that a retro throwback fire. like hips hippie thing? Uh, yeah, it had it had as many uh, repeat acts as they could as 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 drugs would let them have, basically as drugs and mortality would let them have. So you know. Uh, I don't have the lineup in front of me, but you know, Arrested Development is there singing Tennessee, but so is Country Joe and the Fish. Crosby's and Nash are there, but like featuring, uh, maybe it's like John Sebastian or something. Uh, mm -hmm. Who else is by that? I'm trying to think who the other original bands are. Joe Cocker opened it. Santana. I think think just as he did. Santana probably was there. Let me look. Santana's the one that could be in all these these shows. Shana was not there. (laughs) (laughs) But there was some. But, you know, so in between your Blind Melons and your Cypress Hill, it's like, hey, kids, this is Woodstock. And it was actually called Two More Days of Peace and Music to match match the, uh, the hippie Summer of Love era or the hippie. Love Child era branding. I'm not sure of, Cypress Hill is bringing a ton of peace and love. I mean, a version of it. <laughs> well, they're bringing some of the, uh, at least they're the, bringing the, some hits from the bong. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They're bringing the kind of the relax, the the drug induced uh, relaxation that we would associate with '69. Right. Um, Although the, the year, not the activity. Um, but actually, the whole thing. I mean, there's a few kind of. There's a few. I'm trying to look at the angriest band. In the 94. angriest act at Woodstock '94. It's probably ter- it's um, Perry Farrell. It's pornos for pyros. He's not angry. I know. He's just super high. Gil Scott Heron. I, I mean, Green Day played. I think that's part of the part of my issue with the music of the late '90s as represented by this bill. Well, is there? Yeah, a, it's night and day, right? Yeah, there's a lot of anger. This is here. angry, testosterone-driven white male music, and that's not an attempt by the promoters to push that. That's just what rock. That was kind of the base case for rock. Yeah, I mean, in the not, 1990s. not all of it, but if you're if you if on the same day you've got insane clown posse, corn, offspring, um, well, look at the Saturday night main stage lineup. You know, <laughs> after Alanis Morissette, Limp it's Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, Metallica, Kid Rock is on that bill early on. Oh, Kid, oh, Kid Rock is there. Yeah. Between between the tragically hip and white club, but that's the, but that's the thing. The other side of that same bill is super like Virginia hippie. It's Wycliffe Gene, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, and Alanis Morissette. And so, there's some kind of throwback boomer chill. You know, there's Bruce Hornsby for the moms and dads. All um, of this suggests to me big genes. This is what. So this is what music big kind genes of and, had and become. Like this is what rock at least had become. In the post grunge era, it was um, what it was. The it was the ingredients of grunge mixing with this kind of poppy punk that dared to be very commercially successful. Offspring, Green Day kind of stuff. A lot of yelling and a lot of rapping, and then and rap and country influences coming in. Black contacts. Uh, and this is not peak Metallica. 
and you wind up with kind of this awful rap rock we've talked about on the show before. And not all, you know, not all the bands, not all these angry bands are bad. I mean, apparently Corn Set was great at Woodstock '99, and you know, sure it was. And I'd love to see. You know, I wish I could go back and see Rage Against the Machine and Metallica back to back. We've got uh, we've got the following night: Megadeth, Godsmack, Seven Dust, Creed, Chili Peppers, Everlast. Well, there's kind of a weird schizophrenic thing about music festivals like this, and I've noticed it's still how festivals are often programmed. Oh my God! Which Elvis is, Costello. That, is, we'll, we'll talk about uh, that. <laughs> Wow, he'd show up for the opening of a suitcase. There is kind of something for everyone on these lineups, as you can tell. When you just say Willie Nelson, then Elvis Costello, then the Brian Setzer Orchestra, then Jewel, you know, you can tell it's kind of being programmed as, you know, this is not, these are not all your favorite bands. This is kind of a something for everyone lineup. Well, you know, Bumbershoot here in Seattle did that for decades yeah. and and was extremely successful at it. You can, with multiple stages, you can do it. It becomes an experience you curate, not a... Um, not a single piece of art you sit through. Right. Um, and that's how music festivals, music festivals did not start that way. I mean, for context, you've got the, the, the games of ancient Greece, where, which in addition to the athletic competitions would have festivals for drama and singers and instrumentalists. But the um, thing that united it was that everyone was naked. Yes. Yes. And no, that if, no matter what the event. You, <laughs> Woodstock 99, if everyone had been naked... And when and it doesn't matter whether it's just a really high note or a really high hurdle, you're going to see some jiggling, <laughs> some gigolo ants, maybe. <laughs> gigolo who ants. are here on the bill. The gigolo ants are on the emerging artist stage, which is very confusing to me. Since didn't wasn't their first record like literally 15 years earlier? But the gigolo ants had what was their? I guess John Entwistle is also on the emerging artist stage, so it's it's very loosely, it's very loosely curated emergement. Emergement. My friend Phil was. The guitar player of the Gigolo Ants, but I don't think by 1998 he was. My friend Phil's a pretty good 90s band name. My friend Phil? Actually, my friend Phil is more Woodstock 69. After Country Joe and the Fish, you got my friend Phil. Just some easygoing East Bay guys. Uh, let's see. Oh, Counting Crows were on a co-headlining tour with the Wallflowers. They claim it happened in 1997. But uh, somehow they uh, that that well nothing uh, happened in 1997. So clearly it's a cover. Yeah, it's a co- it's a cover for something for some some ufos. Ken, we've uh, come up with some exciting t-shirt uh, designs in the last couple of months. What can you tell us about t-shirts going forward? I like the December ones. After years of requests, we have finally decided there should be an omnibus shirt with a mail truck on it. Yay, mail truck shirt. And it's fun. It's got Mr. Zip driving the truck, that kind of nightmare-inducing representative of the post office's zone improvement plan. And he's having a fun time driving his mail truck on its last legs. And it says omnibus. And then there's a different shirt. He's he's kind of ghost riding, isn't he? He's a little bit out of the truck. Like he's only got... One arm and, and one leg. And he's leaning the out the right side, but that is correct. Yeah, that's that's, right. the, that's the right side. His hood is up. It's smoking. He's yeah. He's quite a he's quite a rakish young man. Uh, he's a real daredevil here. Yeah. Huh. And then this is the De Havilland Beaver, right? You talk about the aviation one because I can't remember what this is. It is. It's the it's the De Havilland Beaver from the front end. Um, it's landing on a Alaskan lake with its with its uh, sea. 
pods with its pontoons. That's, that's or sea right. pods, as we call it. That's right. It's a uh, it's it's a float plane, as we say in the in the parlance. Uh, it shows its very distinctive and characteristic radial engine from the front. So there's no mistaking the profile of the the Haviland Beaver. These are some good-looking shirts about some popular omnibus entries. Two new designs every month, so these will be gone at the end of December. Don't miss out. That's right. This ad is this ad has a time limit. You've got what? Two over two weeks. So Almost three weeks. Go to omnibusproject.com slash store. You'll always see the links to our two new shirts that our friend Dave has up for us at Mediocrity. You'll also find a link to our T Public store where we have a wide array of stuff with the Omnibus logo on it. Hoodies, uh, what else? Hats, I think. Mugs. Onesies? Phone cases. Yeah, onesies, but only in adult sizes. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Rawr. If you show up at my house in an omnibus adult onesie, yes, you, John? Can, you can spend the night. How does that sentence end? Maybe in my guest room, but definitely you can spend the night. Uh, so don't forget, if you're interested in omnibus gear for a limited time only, head to omnibusproject.com slash store. That's omnibusproject.com slash store. But the Modern Music Festival was born in the 50s in Newport. The Newport Jazz Festival oh, sure. was, and it was just, I think, a couple of rich, just, you know, well-heeled uh, jazz fans bothering a local club owner. But they didn't come from the mean streets of Newport, Rhode Island? <laughs> well, I think they were the ones who said, hey, we'll throw money at this. We think it would right. be fun to have outdoor music. And he said, that's not a thing. And they were like, well, summers are super boring. Wouldn't it be cool to just go to the park and listen to jazz? And so, you know, money talks and these, you know, suckers walk, the wealthy residents (laughs) paid for it. And the modern music festival was born and, you know, in its early incarnations, it is, you know, it's of a piece. You sit and listen through all your favorite jazz acts in order because it works as a whole. Right. And that's not true with the Bumbershoot Woodstock 99 model here, um, where it's, I mean, that's something else about the late nineties, you know, uh, excess. Right? Right. Oh, that's Hist- right. History's over. And you can have... We, we all grew up in kind of the complacency of the Clinton administration. Uh, let's just do the most of everything. There were a lot of bands at Woodstock uh, in 69, but... And there's some diversity, right? Like you mentioned uh, Otis Redding, I think. No, no, wait, that's um, that's Monterey. But there's some attempted R&B acts Well, sure, I mean, there's... Um, yeah, I mean, original Woodstock had Richie Havens. Right. It had Santana. But it's funny how that's still like a white, a white rock fan's idea of. Uh, well, don't of tell Richie Havens that. Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah, Hendrix. Oh, Sly and the Family Stone was at the original Woodstock. Sometime I oh, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, Otis Redding's at Monterey. Sometimes I want. Sometimes I want to talk to you about how Richie Havens plays the guitar. Because it's very disturbing to me when I watch the the Woodstock movie. Yeah, we we can talk about that. Ravi Shankar. Um, but you know, Woodstock 99 is just, you know, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Right. How many bands played? It seems like an impossible, you could not possibly have seen all these bands. Well, there's, there's like, there's simultaneous, there's three simultaneous stages. Yeah. And it is over 30 a day. The, uh, it was held between July 22nd and 25th, 1999. So after the pre-show Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Rome, New York, 
the famous Rome, New York. Uh, you know, upstate New York is the epicenter of these Woodstocks. Although, you know, Woodstock ninety, Woodstock, the original Woodstock happened at Bethel, which is not that far upstate at all. Woodstock ninety four is at Saugerties, maybe seventy miles north. Rome's about one hundred and twenty miles north of that. So Woodstock is clearly going to get to Canada, right, at it's, some point, or, or or drown in the Great Lakes <laughs> if if Woodstock ninety nine had not killed it. Um, and it's appropriate that it was Rome because, as we will see. It burned. Yeah, there's going to be fiddling while it burns. It'll be it'll be Anthony Kiedis and Flea fiddling. But so you're saying that <clears throat> you're saying that this event Woodstock '99 actually killed Woodstock forever. You don't think somebody could resurrect this? What's the next anniversary? Wait, 2019. There was no Woodstock '50. Last oh, it would have been last year, and it didn't happen. Whoa! It must have killed it to to have Can you missed the 50th anniversary. And it, I'm sure there were plenty of think pieces and maybe one of those life magazine things that they only sell in supermarkets now, like the, you know, square bound remembering Jackie Kennedy or whatever. I'm sure there was one of those for the 50th of Woodstock, but there was no music event. I have to say that the last few years of, uh, of big festivals, um, I've definitely graduated to being one of these like generation X artists that kind of doesn't understand what the kids are listening to. But a lot of my friends are are the booking agents of these big festivals, and when I see the lineups, you know Coachella and and um, and Sasquatch and you know R.I.P. Sasquatch, yeah, the big the big festivals that defined my time in music. Um, it's just one after another bands that I've n- never heard of and can't even tell what the what kind of band it is by the name. I mean, most of the bands. If you see a if you see um, insane clown posse, you can kind of put together what kind of music I know it what is. the vibe is going to be. But so many of these bands, and so I would talk to my friends like, "What are these bands?" And a lot of the booking agents also don't know. Oh, interesting. Um, because the bands have it's become just a YouTuber. Yeah, they become popular on the web, and so they don't have a touring history. Really, they don't. It's it's not clear what their record sales numbers are even. Um, but they've got 50 million views. And so they, so these agents like know they're a big deal. They're on the list of what kids are clamoring to see, but they're not even really sure what it is. And their back line, which is, you know, like what their writer says they need, is like two USB cables and a microphone. Yeah. Or <laughs> not even a microphone. And so, so, uh, but, there, twenty thousand kids show up to see them, and um, and so it's really changed, kind of what festivals look like, and and um, yeah, the the old senescence test where you could see how out of touch you were by seeing what kind of font size you would have to get to on the on the lineup before you got to a band you didn't know. I mean, right. that, like, really, I do the reverse of it now. I'm like, how far down before I get to a band I do know? Yeah, um, I mean, or can you look at a bill like that and find a band you know? The you know Woodstock '99 was most famous for how it ended. It was it was not just for the hundreds of thousands of people who were there. It was a live pay per view event, as well, and MTV covered the out of it. Uh, and it's most famous for how it ended, which is on Sunday night, uh, an anti gun activist group handed out a bunch of peace candles for kind of a show of support for the cause. Mm. Uh, the peace candles ended up starting a bunch of not very peaceful bonfires. Uh, right on during 
I think the night was supposed to end with some rave event, but the the final act on the main stage was Red Hot Chili Peppers on Sunday night. And as they're playing, they can see just thirty foot flames starting to sprout up out in the out in the venue. You know, Akita says, "Holy sh! Looks like apocalypse now out there from the stage." What's crazy is that of all of the bands, like. The Chili Peppers do not espouse violence or no. Well, that's the thing. They're they're um they're as hippie as as a band comes. Flea was naked for the whole set, right? Apart from his with a sock bass guitar. Yeah, I don't know if he even had the sock. I I learned one of the first live events I ever did. I uh, emceed an air band contest uh, at, at my I guess junior year in high school, and the air band concert was one of the big events at my high school in the late 80s. Every, you know, uh, there were probably 15 or 20 bands playing tennis rackets. Got to lip sync to tennis and rackets. And they would get up there and lip sync a tune and they'd have a dance routine. The whole school turned out, it was in the big theater. Um, it was a big event. People practiced for it for a long time. And I was the MC, which was, it was the first time I'd ever really been given the stage in that way. Like, it's your show, you, you, you know, you bring out the bands and whatnot. And at one point I came out and I had a set of wax lips, uh, which was a, which was a hilarious gag. It's pretty funny. Back in the day. And I came out and wax lips got a big laugh. And then I took the wax lips and I just kind of hucked them out into the crowd, like in, with my most insouciant sort of like, Hey, there you go. And then I talked for a little while and like, so anyway, coming up next, and then those wax lips came back at me at a hundred miles an hour. Some, you know, some baseball player got a hold of it and just, whew, and you know, narrowly missed me. But when I walked off stage, the the choir director was standing there. He was stage managing it, and he he leaned over and said, "Never throw anything out into the audience that you don't want to see coming back at you." I like how the choir director seen some. Man. And I, uh, and I learned it. So, um, so yeah, this, this like peace candle thing, it really resonates with me. And it should have been, it should have been predictable at that point because, you know, even though Sunday night was the big conflagration that ended in rioting and, uh, trailers being lit on fire, all the merch got looted, uh, oh. a, a big TV control tower was torn down. A, a Mercedes Benz got tipped over and broke somebody's leg in, in, in flipping this car. Uh, you know, the rioting went on for five hours and required 500 state troopers to come in and put it down. And in the days that followed when this became a big, a big news story, the promoters and the mayor of Rome and anybody who had anything to do with this would just emphasize how it, actually it was a great event. There was of course a small number of hooligans. There was a small number of thugs that made trouble on Sunday night, but really it was just a, a great Woodstock event apart from the unpleasantness. Sure. Uh, and it came Is out in subsequent weeks and months, you know, as the oral history of this event kind of grew, it became very clear that that was not true at all. <laughs> but the event was disastrous in a near fire festival way uh, from the beginning. And it, it just happened to boil over when the chili peppers were on stage. But as you're saying, they are not the, the kind of band that would incite that or delight in it. I mean, they ended by playing a cover of Jimi Hendrix's fire as the, as everything burned. And I don't even know if that was supposed to be their encore or not. I'm sure that they knew the tune. <laughs> right. And it was a callback to, you know, Jimmy lighting his guitar on fire 
when he closed the original Woodstock. Right. Um, but it turned out to be very apropos indeed, but not something that they had incited. They were reacting to it. Hendrix didn't light his guitar on fire at Woodstock. That was Monterey. Oh, yeah. At Woodstock, he he went on at dawn or something, right? Yeah, the, it's they don't show the crowd because there's almost nobody there. Um, and, you know, that was... So even there was a similar scene at Woodstock 99. You know, people waking up on Sunday morning. It was already a refugee camp there. You know, it, it was the kind of vibe where it's just nothing but bodies and solo cups as far as the eye can see people sleeping on pizza boxes because ground was muddy yeah and the crucially they're white so you can tell if they've been peed on or not um raw sewage everywhere i mean let's talk about the setting so it was held outside rome new york but it wasn't in kind of the peaceful pasture you would expect from you know watching the original Woodstock concert film, Walmart parking lot. It was a decommissioned Air Force base. Oh, the so, best! So worse than a Walmart parking <laughs> lot, probably. Uh, the former fort—it's uh, like Griffiths or something. Um, you know, some '40s to '90s era Air Force base. But it was paved in portion then. Heavily paved, no, very little shade, no shade trees. It turned out to be a super fun site. Uh, I think well into the 2000s because of all the the heavy metals they were trying to get out of the groundwater. Right. Um, and it was late July in upstate New York. So hundred degree heat, uh, very little shade. What could go wrong? Water was very scarce. There was supposed to be, uh, there was supposed to be free water, but, um, you know, like many festivals of this kind, they're not incentivized. You know, piles of food were confiscated at the gate and all the water sources seemed to be, hard to find or shut off wow. in the, in the aid of getting people to pay $4 for a bottled water, $5 for a hot dog. I mean, that doesn't sound crazy now. Those are airport or basketball game prices, right? Yeah. $4 for a bottle of water when it's a hundred degrees though, does feel usurious. I mean, it, any amount for a hot dog. And keep in mind that you've got a captive audience, yeah, you know, it would, it would take three hours for people to get back to Rome, New York, if they wanted to come and go. So basically nobody came and went. So, you know, at a baseball game, you can say, well, the hot, the hot dogs are, are, are 10 bucks. I'll, I'll eat later. Yeah. Um, whereas, you need water. Whereas here, yeah, people really had no choice. And uh, all the vendors were run by kind of one outfit. Uh, they were charging individual vendors $70 for a case of water or soda that would have cost $5 in Rome. So it was a it was a whatever that is eighteen hundred percent increase. In, they were marking it up then. The I mean, mar- then they they marked it up very slightly, but everybody had to sell water for for or soda for for four dollars and upward, or they couldn't make a penny. Um, and and people and and so people ran out of money very quickly at the end of the concert. At least a thousand people, one single outfit arranged for rides for a thousand people who were broke due to concession spending. Wow, I'm mad now. I am. I'm already mad. I'm ready to to turn over a Mercedes. You, you Benz. were super pro Woodstock '99 going in when you were like corn insane clown. Pu- this is a pretty good lineup. Yeah, but come on, free water. You got to have water. Uh, it gets worse. Uh, sanitation was a problem. There were 2,600 porta potties, but uh, nobody there, to clean them. There, yeah, the plan was to empty them at night, and it turned out the party never ended. There was no night at Woodstock '99. Only day. 
So, yeah, it's some kind of Asimov story. So the porta potties were never emptied. Oh my god! And by by Saturday, sewage is flowing into people's tents oh, and no. campgrounds. Oh, oh no! This and, is awful. Yeah, Tr- trigger alert. Everybody's nice new Chuck Taylors. It's too late to put a trigger alert again. Uh, and it has public health ramifications. There were <laughs> yeah. there were there were a, there was a real uptick uptick of stomach cases at Rome hospitals. Oh no! So then people are barfing and pooping too from the bad sewage everywhere. Oh. And uh, you know these being young people, a kind of um, a kind of anything goes atmosphere is pervasive. Sure. And I don't. That would be true anywhere. I mean, it's a it's a little tricky. The pay per view cameras love it because they are picking out somebody in the crowd, uh, taking off her top or flashing the band. You know, every few minutes. Yeah. Um, and the bands, of course, are encouraging it. Uh, but in this kind of uh, in a, in this environment, that it, starts to get a little rapey. It gets, gets rapey very quickly. From the stage, both Flea and Dexter Holland of, of Outcast are being like, hey, 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 leave her alone. Like, hey. Dexter Holland is. Uh, uh, sorry, of the offspring. What did I say? Outcast. Outcast yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you don't know yeah. Dexter, Dexter 3000 from Outcast? <laughs> sorry, Dexter from the offspring. Both of them are, are, you know, yelling at guys in the crowd. You know, you can't just grope her just because she's wearing that, you know? Right. Um, but it gets bad really quick, and I don't know if we know to this day how bad it got. There were, you know, somewhere on the order of a dozen claims of sexual violence, like lots of lots of rape allegations, including like literal gang rapes happening in the mosh pits oh, no. in front of the stage, which is, you know, and it's it's not this is not because of the anything goes um, free love Woodstock vibe. No, but but the same kind of idea that hey, this is not real life for these three days. We can do what we want. Definitely informs both things. Like I'm gonna make a bad decision about how much of whatever I'm ingesting, and then I'm gonna take off my top. Right. Um, but but you know can can turn less carefree pretty quick. Well, the a lot of the a lot of the music thematically is not um, we're all in this together, peace and love. That's the next thing I want to get into. Uh, but but yeah, it seems like the seems like those reports of sexual violence would be dramatically underreported uh, relative to uh, you know anyone that got reported. There are probably five that didn't. Yeah, the music is not incidental. It's not like the performance is going on and then tragically um, there's some weird refugee camp happening. I mean, the two things are very much feeding each other. The people are all here to see the music. And, uh, you know, there were, there were, um, the, the security, the venue security was called the peace patrol. Sure. I guess, I guess in a nod, is that a normal music industry term or is no. that kind of a Woodstock summer of love? Thing? Never heard of it before. Haven't heard it since. Well, there's a peace patrol of, I don't know, 1200 guys or something, mostly local hires mm-hmm. and some, Guys that are carrying baseball bats some, uh, that, with the word peace written on them? Some New York, yeah, some New York City uh, uh, recruiting went on. You know, two different two different security agencies were tasked. But uh, by Sunday, they are down just hundreds of people due to bad behavior, getting fired, people just getting sick of the conditions and walking out. Um, so by the time of the riots, you have these guys literally retreating before anything that happens. Uh, you know, chain link fences came down so that people could pour in. The initial reports after the uh, the initial media reports say attendance around two hundred thousand, and more recent reports say actually four hundred thousand, 
which I ass- and I assume a lot of that is just illegal entry. Yeah, right. So it's it's kind of a it's now a free entry zone, no man's land. And they could probably secure that perimeter a lot mo- lot uh, lot better when it was an air force base and they had air force guards, but 400,000 people, even if you've got even if you've got a well-guarded base, it's hard to keep 400,000 people out. Even yeah, if 200,000 have bought tickets. It's, if it's huge and it's just a chain link fence, yeah. that's going to come down somewhere. You'd think the smell would start keeping people <laughs> out. <laughs> or drive people out. But for a while it didn't. I, yeah, I, I want to say, though, uh, it, one of the things that makes us sort of Generation X here in reviewing this is our tendency to try and draw a correlation between violent imagery in song and band and violence in the world. And that, uh, that for the last few decades has really come up against uh, a strenuous argument on the other side. And this is the, I I think we were making that argument too, against Tipper Gore and the, the video game ladies. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. We're, we're the generation that initially was making the strenuous argument against it. But then we, as we get older, it's harder and harder to when we talked about insane clown posse and they make the case about their own music that there's this like in, like incredibly violent disgusting misogynistic kind of imagery in their songs and they're saying no 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 that's we're actually about peace and love that's how we vent those feelings yeah that's right and that's how we attract angry kids and then we then we teach them about teach them love and so it's the violence in video games argument, right? That and there are an awful lot of people that do not want um, to entertain the idea that that uh, that that produces violence in the world. And so it's right, but at the same time, it's very hard to look at Woodstock '99 and the bands on the bill and not see it's it's a very testosterone-y energy. And to try and make a connection between that and the violence that did result, but I think we're going to come up against people that are that are going to say, "Hey, there's nothing violent about corn." We've got some cover here because it's not at, at a few points it emerges from subtext. I mean, it's easy to say, "Hey, in hindsight, these guys were all just yelling angry stuff, full of a very white male energy, and they riled up a bunch of kids." Um, but in fact, it's it's expre- it's it's happening expressly explicitly from the stage. Like at one point, uh, I think Limp Bizkit came on after Alanis Morissette, and the promoters were starting to get worried about the a lot of the unrest and a lot of the violence. Because I'm, and I'm, they I'm had here had, to tell you, Alanis Morissette did not encourage any rioting. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, Fred Durst was asked oh, to. The, uh, he's the worst. He was asked to encourage the crowd to mellow out and just let's have a fun weekend. And he actually said, you know, they want me to say mellow out, but guess what, mother effers? That's not what Limp Bizkit's about. I want you guys to go crazy and break stuff. One, two, three, four. So you have the bands from the stage literally saying yeah. the vibe is not, We've, you know, we, we, you can go too far and let's chill. I should say, uh, disclaimer here, I am 100% against Fred Durst in every respect. And Fred, if you're listening, uh, you're terrible. <laughs> and if, and you, you think were, he might be listening? You were a terrible influence on American culture, and as far as I can tell, still are. Do you think in a thousand, you know, a thousand-year-old Fred Durst will someday uncover this archive and I really in the distant uh, future for his success in the world uh, always baffled me and continues to baffle me. I really believe he belongs in in music prison, and I I don't understand why West, what West Borland saw in him. 
I really feel like Wes should have should have been in a different band. I'm a hundred percent okay with the idea that um, alienated, angry young kids listen to metal or punk or whatever it is, and it really helps them through those emotions. Like, I'm I'm very pro Zach Della Rocha. You're pro Zach. I'm pro Zach. So, so it is really helping your emotional state. It to be Zach, to be Prozac. Being Prozac ha- really mellowed me out. Are you part of Prozac Nation? <laughs> I uh, I remember, you know, dancing or, or not dancing, but like angrily gesticulating with my hands. And it didn't make you go uh, uh, burn down public property or have bad political opinions or beat up women. No, I burned down public property and had bad political opinions. I didn't beat up any women. See, you're only you're two for three. Yeah. Um, but in this case, if somebody is actually telling you, I, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm an official representative of this event and I want you to break things. Right. I did it all for the, for the nookie. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he, he did, he did it all for the nookie, yeah. I guess. He was not discouraging the nookie. And he encouraged people to take the cookie and, and stick it up their beep. You shouldn't be putting cookies there. Don't put cookies up your They're beep. not, those are not sterile cookies. <laughs> Don't take a little, especially eel. not in a in a sewage covered Air Force. Don't base. take a little eel fudge and put him up there. <laughs> eel fudge doesn't want to see that. Anyway, by Sunday morning, predictably, the place is a it's a, it looks like a refugee camp, and then it becomes a war zone. Like on Sunday morning, it briefly looks like it's going to be okay. Willie Nelson opens on the main stage, and it's like okay. Last night was nuts, but we're in good hands now. Chill it out. Can you imagine Willie sitting up there and just the smell of the crowd? Just Willie's seen a lot. <laughs> but I bet he wasn't that into it. Uh, but he's followed by Elvis Costello, who really kind of thinks he should be an angry young man again. Oh, dear. And kind of pisses off the crowd. Like, I guess he starts with a, a really deep cutoff of Spike, maybe. Yeah. He plays Pads, Paws, and Claws or something like that, which, you know, he thinks of as one of his angry songs. But the crowd turns pretty quickly not and, into his dad rock and then it just goes from from bad to worse uh and ends in fire and five hours of of state troopers trying to what was there to burn like there i've seen the images of these giant bonfires but what are they burning that's a good point i mean it, the, it's do you just not a, bring firewood to a no <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess they're just burning like the pallets of yeah, empty water bottles. Yeah, I guess there, there's bottles. wooden wooden infrastructure you can once once you overpower mer- the merch alley, you can take whatever you want. Right. Um, pizza boxes. Maybe it's all pizza giant pizza box bonfires. Yeah, I bet. I bet they're burning trash, which is kind of the worst thing to burn in terms of. And anything you do at that point is going to make the smell better, not worse. Mm-hmm. But. Good point. Um, but it's easy to see this moment, you know, just because of kind of the testosterone music that's gone as far as it can go. Like at least, you know, there's many axes on which you can look at rock music, but one is, um, you know, angry young white people getting their rage out and that can have a dark side uh-huh. as, as we've seen. Uh, and that whole, that end point of rock kind of burns itself out here. Like once you've done this, you can't go any further. Um, not just artistically, you know, that somebody like Fred Durst has kind of pushes that, pushed that as far as it can go. Artistically in giant air quotes. Yeah. You throbbing air quotes. Like once you, you you can't get bigger or dumber than that. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, and so you kind of, you, you can kind of see Woodstock 99 as the beginning of a retreat from that. And 
I don't know, like, what would you think of this? Do you think the stuff that came next could be a reaction to well, the dead end of that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, of the, the dead end of Nookie? 99 was... I mean, indie rock was ascendant then. You had, I mean, uh, Cat Power and... Um, An exceedingly gentle kind of indie rock, yeah, right? Yeah, and, it, it, you know, uh, like uh, Neutral Milk Hotel, Pavement. I mean, there were, there was all this indie rock that was that was happening... And then in 2000, 2001, indie rock just landed hard. You've got, you've got, um, that was the year that Mass Romantic came out, 2001, right? I but, think that's, yeah. So yeah, late 2000, the first new pornographer's record. And, um, first Death Cab record? Death Cab was, it came out in that, uh, uh, something about airplanes, I think came out in 99, but we have the facts was 2000. Um, so the Shins came out right then too. That first Shins record, two thousand one. Um, so it was like indie rock all of a sudden, and indie rock complete antidote, like in, in sound, in culture, in tone, melodic. You know, gentle, S- like so- soft, em- embracing vocals, femininity, super, super. Feminist. Even if all the lead singers were guys, <laughs> it was um, it was a, a very gentle time, and I think. I think after after 2000 yeah I don't think of 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 testosterone in music at all for about well for about 10 years it had been drained it had all been it had all been lit on except fire. in hip hop but you know like like whatever we would call rock culture which had splintered into a thousand places by then I yeah, mean kids, there's always going to be Swedish death metal but kids who wanted something angry to listen to you know the mainstream option was now was hip hop. Yeah. And, and rock indie, can't compete. Indie rock was a place that you could go like anti anger, I think became a thing. Um, cause kids have those overwhelming feelings too, you right. know, the sweetness and love that you can finally express because it's now it's not for, for your mom. It's for some, you know, impossibly attractive guy or gal from study hall. I mean, it's the other, it's the other side of grunge that took kind of 10 years to evolve, the which emo, is the emo side of grunge. Yeah. And like, there was a lot of, that was the advent of a lot of body positivity, inclusiveness in rock cultures. That was when tall people started to intentionally stand toward the back of the room. You know, a lot of, of, uh, <laughs> like that's the bright line for you, <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, message board culture where people were super supportive live journal, you know, uh, uh, the dawn of a new era where, where the idea of making rock concerts safe for everybody kind of started to arise. You never saw an indie rock band stand up there and go, all right, let's see all you chicks get up. And, you know, it was like completely That's different. a good point that it's the sense of community that comes out of the technology that, that forms that. You know, these, these people showing up at Woodstock 99 were not looking to hook up with their fellow corn uh, fans that right. they'd met online. And what... In my career, I was continually astonished by the fact that a lot of times Long Winters would come to a town and the Long Winters concert would be an opportunity for all these kids who already knew each other from the forums to finally meet in person. So you'd look out at the crowd and and it was like they all knew each other, giving hugs and whatnot. And this was the first time they'd met, but they'd been talking on Long Winters forums or or Barsook forums for Look at the internet actually making people nicer. Yeah, it was pretty nice. I mean, before it 
you know, descended into like judgy clickiness. Brian Hyatt uh, wrote about was at Woodstock Nine. I rock journalist wrote was about that? it for Sonic Net because that, that still existed, and uh, and has you know recently wrote for Rolling Stone, kind of a you know a look back at how Woodstock '99 essentially created the next twenty years, and it's kind of convincing. You know, the, I, I, later that year was the WTO riots. I was and, back for that, and then pretty much a an unbroken line of kind of protest and anger in the streets that lasts to this day. Right. You know, and that didn't start from Woodstock 99, obviously that was just dumb kids who wanted water and porta potties, but you know, it did kind of create this, it was the beginning of this image of a, you know, where the future is angry young people and where, um, you know, even well-intended activism is going to have a, a dark side that we're going to have to deal with. Um, and you know he he goes further than that. You know it's a it, it was a hot and dry weekend, just like our hot and dry future. You got to see a, a kind of a a populist yo yo in a red hat standing in front of a crowd of people. A oh, red I baseball thought he cap. was making a connection between uh, Woodstock '99 and Bernie uh, Bernie culture and the other way. Black I mean, Block. look at the Gen X voting numbers. I mean, a lot of these. Uh, Right, like they're a, all Kid Rock. Fans. A lot of these Kid Rock and Fred Durst fans grew up and work on our own Midwestern car lots, and they are—they're the same people at Trump rallies, still, still kind of hooting and hollering at the populist guy in the red cap, telling them that um, that they got troubles, but it's going to be okay. What's strange is that '99 is this moment where were the majority of those attendees Gen X or were they? Young millennials, ninety nine. If you're right on the cusp, if you're twenty, if they're in high, if they're still in high school, they are millennials. They're 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 old millennials. If they're in college, they're young Gen Xers. Right, and that's a that's that that's a weird transition, right? And which which way half the people at that show became Kid Rock Trump voters, and half of them became the you know the original Bernie Bros, the, the older the the uh, elder statesmen among the Bernie Bros. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to his credit, Fred Durst has uh, has yelled at Trump online. I guess has he really? Yeah. Hey, but it's more like, hey, come on, man. Hey, man. W- what's with the tone? <laughs> the, co- the country doesn't. You could be a you could be a leader. The country doesn't need this. <laughs> I love. This. He's one of these. But Fred Durst is one of these guys who wants a who wants a, a new a, a strange new tone from Trump. Yeah, Fred Durst and Trump both did it for the nookie, but only one took that cookie. And that concludes Woodstock 99. Entry 1441.IS2808. Certificate number 27287 in the omnibus. Futurelings, uh, we hope and pray that if you are a huge fan of any of these uh, bands that we have sort of uh, denigrated in this show that you do not contact us at all with your defense with of your the music take. of. I mean, one thing we know about evolution is that even fifteen hundred years hence, we are speaking to life forms who are probably doing it for the nookie. Sure, absolutely, that, but that's a constant. But you know, like, are they are they like rapping <laughs> and rocking at the same time? Like, if you're gonna rap, rap. If you're gonna rock, rock. Don't rap and rock. I mean, uh, unless you're really good at it, you could rap, you could rap and rock if you're good at it. Very few people are. Yeah, many of the people at the top of that field are not that good at it. 
That's the thing. I mean, Kid Rock, not that great at it. I think Andre 2000 is, or 3000, I think Andre 3000 is pretty good at rapping and rocking. Andre 3000 from uh, from The Offspring? But he's not, but he's not currently like producing a ton of music as far as I know, at least in this, in in 2020. He is not, sadly. Um, If you do feel obligated to defend uh, Limp Bizkit, you can go on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages at Omnibus Project and scream into the void. Uh, if you really, we, we, we have all <laughs> muted the phrase "limp biscuit" at this point. If you really, really want to get into a conversation about it, you could go to the Futurelings fan pages at uh, at uh, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, and get into an argument with people there who live uh, who live science based lives. And I will not. I will not visit the Facebook page during that period. It'll be a dark time. Uh, it would, that would, that will be the year that doesn't exist. 2021. It'll take five hours and 500 state troopers to get the, to get the group back in order. If you have any Woodstock 99 memorabilia that you don't want in your house anymore because of the bad juju, you can send it to us. Do at, post your stories, by oh, the way. No, no, we would love to hear it. If, I'm sure future links. If there were 400,000 people there, I'm sure some of you were there. I bet that's true. And have a smarter take than ours. Please, please add it to the record. Bad. Yeah, please do. Uh, but you can send us your memorabilia at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, if you really, really feel like you need to tell somebody your story uh, and yell at us for something we got wrong, you can email Ken at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. But if you love this show, and I know you do, and you'd like to support it, uh, please consider going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. And uh, joining our supporters at whatever level seems like it is the best fit for there's you. There's the bottled water level, $4. Mm-hmm. There's the hot dog level, $5. There's the there's the $10 pizza slice level. All all weekend pass to Woodstock 99 cost. Do you have a guess here, John? 100 bucks. 150 150 bucks. If you were to contribute $150 to Omnibus, it would be like you you didn't have to see... Uh, Kid Rock and Limp Biscuit live. The amount of raw sewage that you will have to stand in if you support Omnibus at the $150 level is as close to zero. It's guaranteed to be zero, actually. Yeah. We will return your money if there is ever sewage at any point. Here, here. At a live show. I guess we, you and I would have done a festival. Our word is bond. This summer in a... Uh, the, we, the, the Sasquatch successor thing, Yeah, right? we were scheduled in, to uh, appear in the in port- in comedy tent at the... Port, it, where is it? Port Angeles Port, or Port Townsend? Townsend? Port, Port Townsend. Townsend. Uh, but it got canceled, sadly. That would have been our first uh, music festival as a podcast. Yeah, that would have been fun. Sort of. We could have done. We could have done Woodstock '99. <laughs> it's really hard to do spoken word in a tent at a music festival, but they keep they keep trying to do it. They it's 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 part of the thing. It's really now the uh, the there's got to be one of everything because then you'll get a broader demographic of ticket buyers. Yeah, I mean Todd Berry standing in a in a hot tent. Speaking in his low monotone voice while while guitars drone yeah, like outside, right, squeal outside. right over his shoulder. There's uh, you know, there's some band all in black pants playing super loud. Not that good. I bet Todd still looks pretty cool in comparison Todd's, to that. Oh, he's so cool. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe foretold by the Woodstock apocalypse may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry 
Emmy Omnibus.